welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Carl Higby, filling in for Greg while he's out getting his freedom on. Folks, 275 years ago, Americans fought the Revolutionary War over a 2.5% tax hike in a breakfast beverage. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Obviously, long before that, we weren't wild about being ruled by blood lineage 3,000 miles away that had never actually even been to the colonies. But a bunch of ordinary folks like you and me com took our commonly owned and, at the time, weapons of war and took on the world's most powerful army in the name of freedom. You know, Americans have a unique view of freedom, that it can't be taken away, and that while peace is our highest aspiration, we'll never back down, we'll never seek it through appeasement, and while I think many of our enemies have forgotten about our strength due to the fact that Joe Biden's forgetting where he put the nuclear football, I can assure you that the fighting spirit remains pretty strong in this country. And if you test that, just know that we can send one of our 11 floating cities with 5,000 plus troops and hundreds of planes powered by two nuclear reactors followed by submarines that go faster than most people drive on the highway, quite enough not to wake a baby. We can put a missile in a window 8,000 miles away at the push of a button in less time than it takes you to renew your driver's license at the DMV. We can mobilize millions of troops to defend that freedom and democracy around the world. Now, that should have been the universal message that was celebrated on this 4th of July, but for many on the left, it wasn't. Instead, you literally had an elected member of the Democratic Party on 4th of July hating on America. Cori Bush. Now, keep in mind, this woman is an elected member of the United States Congress. She tweeted, When they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this. The freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen land, and black people still aren't free. Right. Okay, so again, what you're an elected member of the United States Congress, tell me about your oppression. Of course, she gave no specific examples, but our institutions aren't exactly fostering much love for the flag either, it seems. Campus reform went to Texas, of all places, to ask this question. When you see an American flag, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Well, um, America. Exclusiveness and some selfishness. Uh, a lot of things come to mind. First of all, war. Um, second of all, hmm, let me see. Well, we've also taken a bit of land from Native Americans. That's unfortunate, too. Some students have told me that they think the American flag is a symbol of oppression, genocide, and racism. Would you agree with that? Yes, wholeheartedly. Absolute love of the American flag, I think, is very obviously correlated to like extremism. I've definitely seen the American flag used as a racist symbol. Well, I wouldn't pick any of those turds to be on my Frisbee golf team, let alone defend the freedoms that they so fruitfully enjoy right here in America. What about this? Last night's PBS Capital Fourth show, which was broadcast to the U.S. military abroad, was turned into a total woke circus. The host, Vanessa Williams, closed the show out by singing our na nation's beautiful and patriotic national anthem. The star spank... Oh, wait, no. She decided not to. She decided to sing the Wokapalooza, Lift Every Voice and Sing, a song nicknamed to be the Black National Anthem. Can't you just smell the unity in the air? It seems like everything the woke culture does in the USA is something to divide us. Once again, the left needs to make everything about the color of our skin and not celebrate the, the best country in the world. The left woke media are working hard to cancel everything about this country. They've already started trying with the fourth, and look at this National Geographic suggests that fireworks are now racist. Quote, scientists found that vulnerable people in communities of color are disproportionately exposed to air pollution from fireworks celebrations. Really? You kidding me? Fireworks are now racist? How about you just stick to writing about the mating patterns of snow leopards and leave the politics at the base of the trail? Capiche? Sounds good to me. Look, folks, an entire political party 
is trying to fundamentally transform America. Barack Obama said that. And I'm, I'm not going to let it happen. So on the America's 275th birthday, I think it's important we reflect on something Ronald Reagan said. That freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them as they do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. So the next time someone tells you to wear a mask or says you can't own a gun or even wants to raise your taxes a little bit, even just a little bit, think about that. Because freedom's not lost abruptly. It's voluntarily given up gradually. So 275 years later, hold the line against these nut jobs on the left. Don't let the greatest country in the world be transformed. Because if we do, there's nowhere else to go. America is it. So take a deep breath of freedom and let's keep America great. But in the name of keeping America great, our first guest knows all about this. Let's bring in Eric Trump. Eric, how you doing, boss? I'm doing well, Carl. You know, I have to say, it was a beautiful quote that you used, the Ronald Reagan quote. I actually happened to use that. You might remember this in my RNC speech, and it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's spot on, Carl. I mean, they'll do anything in this country, and, and you see it every single day, and you report on it. You do a better job than anybody reporting on it, but they want to get rid of our Pledge of Allegiance. They want to get rid of our national anthem. They want to get rid of, you know, um, under God. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, you mentioned the fireworks. I'm glad you did. I mean, remember... Last year at Mount Rushmore um, on 4th of July, I was there with my father um, and the great governor of that great state, Christy Nome, and we had the greatest fireworks celebration above Mount Rushmore with literally, you know, B2s, B1, B2s flying overhead. And I mean, it was incredible. I mean, there was no more patriotic day. And then guess what? Biden and the Democrats this year, you know what they do? They cancel the fireworks over Mount Rushmore. No better, you know, more iconic symbol of, of America than that. And they cancel the fireworks. I mean, there is a war on this country. There is a war on this flag. And it's, um, it, it's quite frankly, it's one of the reasons my father ran to become commander in chief. It's one of the reasons, frankly, he won. People are sick and tired of the nonsense. And those college students, Carl, it, it, you know, they make you just shake your head. I mean, I, I can't wait till at one point in their lives, they actually travel overseas hopefully to some of the places you've, you've been and that you've served in and actually realize how incredible this country is because make no mistake about it, and I've seen a lot of corners of this, this world, we live in the greatest country on earth, hands down, bar none, it's not even close. And, and you know that as, uh, as well as anybody, as a person who, who fought over there to uh, defend all the things that we uh, hold true as Americans. Right, well, that's the thing is all these people, they're like, oh my God, America is so terrible and I can't stand it, we're oppressive. I'm like, okay, then there's the door. They just, they'll just they never take that ticket. Uh, but, you know, I want to talk about this uh, keeping America great. It, your dad's been out of office for like six months now and he's still garnering these massive crowds, which is like, when, he, when he's back totally. on stage, I'm just like, thank, thank God he's back. But we saw this Save America rally past Saturday. You know, it carried, we carried the full thing right here on Newsmax. Tell us how it went. Tell us about the energy. And what are you seeing now that he's back in the game? Well, it's unbelievable. I, mean, I spent the entire day with him. In fact, I, I literally left him to come uh, to come see you, Carl, you know, two minutes ago. But everywhere he is, he does. I mean, you know, 35, 45,000 people are coming out. Literally in this country, you have no voice piece anymore for 75, 80 million Americans who are out there, right? Because you have the media, which is effectively the lobbyist, you know, aside from you guys and, you know, very few select others, but they're effectively the lobbying arm of the Democratic Party. And, you know, you have the Democrats themselves and, um, you know, the, the narratives that they push all day long. And so there's this vacuum in this country right now. There's this vacuum for 75, 80 million people, those people that 
we were talking about a second ago who love the flag and love the United States military and love what this country stands for and loves the fundamental principles of, of, of freedom and Fourth of July and those fireworks. And they literally have no one. And, and so it's actually causing them to flock to my father like even never before. I mean, my father's yeah. always had an incredible following. He's created a movement never before seen in politics. But honestly, Carl, I mean it. And I saw it, I saw it a couple minutes ago. I mean, the amount of people who are there clapping alongside the road. And we're in a pretty liberal spot in New York. And I, I'm telling you, the support is unbelievable right now. It, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, but it's also the contrast, too. You went from the, the message of make America great again to, well, I don't, I don't know whatever Biden's mumbling these days, but it, 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 the contrast is so stark. And to see him back on the campaign trails, getting sure. a lot of people involved. But it also seems like, you know, they're doing everything like the, the left just, I, I don't know what it is, but they, they're, they're going out of their way to paint this as some horrible, sexist, istophobic, phobophobic, oppressive country. You know, this Cory Bush, I, we, we just talked about it, an elected member of Congress tweeted, you know, tweeted this yesterday. When I say the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen land and black people still aren't free. What do you make about something like that? Well, it's an ironic quote, especially coming from her, given that she's one of the most powerful people in the United States government. I mean, she's she's a congresswoman. I mean, you know, she's doing awfully well, right? I mean, and, and, and it's... It, it, it's really actually kind of baffling. But, Carl, a lot of times I actually think they use this to distract from their horrible policies. I mean, you mentioned Biden a second ago. Yeah. But, you know, look what's happening. Look at energy prices in this country. Look at inflation in this country. Look at, you know, the total the total lack of respect, um, you know, toward this country mm -hmm. by all of our adversaries. Look at the way China treats him and look at the way Russia treats him or look at the way the rest of the world treats this guy. I mean, energy prices are going crazy. Our, our, our military is not right. I mean, they're putting handcuffs on the military. There's no one who can speak better to that mm -hmm. uh, than you. His policies are, are disastrous. I mean, you go into yeah. Home Depot to buy a two by four right now and it's, you know, 12 bucks, whereas under my father it was, you know, 299, right? I mean, that's what's happening in, in this country. His policies aren't working. Then you go down to the southern border and you look at the disaster on the southern border. And then you look at the fact that he literally can't get out a sentence without, you know, fumbling. A flash and card or something. You have something. a lot of people. You, 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 have a, you have people who were kind of, you know, 50-50 in the last election that might have pulled the handle toward him. Um, and they're regretting their decision right now because they're, you know, you might not have liked a mean tweet or what you perceived as a mean tweet. But there's one thing you can't say about Trump. He was a very honest president. There's no one who was a greater cheerleader for the United States of America than him. I mean, he would go out in this beautiful red hat that said USA on it. I mean, where is that patriotism with Biden? Where is that patriotism with Kamala? I mean, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Yep. He was a great cheerleader for this country. He was a great fighter for this country. And, and frankly, his policies were awesome. And his policies led to tremendous prosperity for um, our great nation. And, um, and you're seeing the exact opposite. I mean, what, it's been five months now? Yeah. Look what this guy's done. Look, look at the way this guy has unraveled this country in right. such a short period of time. And, uh, and I, I think it's actually going to uh, position my father really, um, you know, really nicely for, uh, for 2024 if he decides to run. And I actually think, uh, you know, 2022 in terms of Congress is going to be just a landslide because people get it. I mean, people people truly get it. <laughs> the, the Democrats are like the gift that keeps on giving. We just let them talk and this is what they do. So hopefully, hopefully people will get it. Uh, Eric, you know, I, 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 I thank you so much for taking the time to come on tonight. But real quick, I got about 20 seconds left. What, what, what is the thing you would say to that person who's 50-50 on the fence? 
Listen, you want a person who loves this nation. You want a person who cares about this nation. You want a person who's never been in government before and a person who doesn't need the job. My father doesn't need this job. He did it because he saw a country that was going down the tube and it's happening again right mm -hmm. now. That's why he but he put everything aside. And, everything. And Carl, you see the way they attack us. Yeah. You see the way they attack us and they come after us and they weaponize politics. And you see what they try and do. But my father yeah. loves this nation. We as a family love this nation. We'll never stop fighting for the greatest country in the world, and for, which is the United that, States of America. Yeah, for that, we are eternally thankful. Thank you very much, Eric Trump. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, Carl. All right. Just when we thought crime in our country couldn't get any worse, our nation's major, mostly Democratic cities, were hit with extreme violence over the holiday weekend. We'll talk about that in the coming hour. Plus, President Joe Biden continues his push to bring the U.S. troops home from Afghanistan after 20 years. But at what cost? More on that later in the show. Stay with us. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and, believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Well, Democrats have attempted to take America's birthday and twist it into another opportunity to express their wokeness. We're going to break it down with our panel, com uh, the Common Sense Cowboy, Patrick Dornson, and former executive director of Black Voices for Trump, Harrison Floyd. Welcome to both of you. Harrison, I want to go to you first. I, you know, <laughs> I want to begin with talking about this tweet that was put out. We just talked to Eric about this uh, from uh, Representative Cory Bush. Take a look at this. When they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this. The freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen land and black people still aren't free. I mean, what the heck is she talking about? I don't know what she's talking about because I'm black and I sure feel pretty free. And I uh, certainly enjoy my freedom in this great country. And uh, I think it's pretty ironic. And um, I, I really don't understand it because for eight years previously, underneath the black president, Barack Obama, this wasn't an issue. We didn't have people uh, kneeling for the flag, burning the flag, turning their uh, backs to the flag during the Olympics. So uh, I, I don't know where she's going with this. But I would like to ask the congresswoman and figure out if she does think this is a problem, what does she intend to do about it? Right. Um, I called her office. I didn't get an answer. And so, you know, she if, if this country is not free, how did she become a, a congresswoman? You know, is she admitting that she's just a token? I, I don't get it. Yeah. What well, the, the irony is that she's literally in a position to change the law. And all she does is complain about it and doesn't propose anything except for crazy stuff like the Green New Deal. Uh, Patrick, you know, they recently said fireworks are apparently racist. I want to pull up a tweet by National Geographic. All right. It says scientists found that vulnerable people in communities of color are disproportionately exposed to air pollution from fireworks celebrations. I mean, what the heck is going on with this? Well, you know, you got to look at the whole picture. And this is just one little incident, just like Corey Bush's was one little incident. Mm -hmm. Look, I started out in college back in the early 70s when all this wokeness began. And what happened was it was the Vietnam era and you had a bunch of leftist professors who decided to plant the seeds of socialism in the minds of baby boomer college students who were kind of anti-war and anti-government and anti-America already. So that's exactly what they did. And these baby boomers then figured out how to take control of America. Number one, they became tenured college professors so they could fill the 
mushy minds of a couple generations of kids with all this poison. Next, they got into the bureaucracies of government at all levels, knowing that's where the real power is. Next, they took over the media and made it a propaganda arm for the Democratic Party. They took over Hollywood. They took over television. And they now even have taken over corporate America. And the military, who the anti-war baby boomers used to hate, are somehow their best friends now. And so is the CIA. All this time, conservatives had been asleep at the switch, being in think tanks, writing stupid papers, while the working men and women of this country got sold out by not only the Democrats, but also got sold out by the Beltway Republicans. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hashtag nailed it. Uh, Harrison, you know, this is another one. Vanessa Williams, over the weekend, she sang the Black National Anthem at the uh, Capitol Fourth event. And the network, obviously, now facing a lot of backlash, but it's like, you know, it's one of these things like this was the, the allegedly the party of unity and stuff like that. And, you know, America is unique in the sense that every country, every major empire country establishment has had some form of, of something they'd like to correct. Something which like uh, for us, we'd love to have be able to wipe slavery off the face of the fact that it ever happened. However, you can't do that. All you can do is learn from the past. So, you know, we want to bring unity. That's what the American flag stands for in the national anthem, you know. It, it sings that. However, now they want to bring the black national anthem, which is further dividing our nation based on skin color. So I, I ask you, Harrison, how is this helping? I don't think it's helping at all. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're one nation under God. And I think this also speaks to what Patrick mentioned a little bit before about how the conservative party, the GOP, has a real problem when it comes to addressing race and the issue. Um, what, what does playing the black national anthem really do? What does it hurt? It doesn't hurt anybody, but it certainly hurts Republicans when folks go on and say, we shouldn't do this because then it makes you look uh, racist. It hurts Republicans when they say we shouldn't have Juneteenth as a federal holiday because it makes us look racist. So the GOP needs to do a much better job of um, addressing this because if we don't, we're gonna have a really big issue when it comes to uh, winning in 2022 and 2024, and we're gonna have a lot more, more to to worry about than just critical race theory in our education systems. This is something we really got to hit on. We got to stop uh, falling for the bait. This is something that we mm -hmm. really were successful with the Trump campaign with Black Voices for Trump and the coalition. The Trump campaign was able to, you know, pull out more votes, uh, non-white votes for uh, any Republican. The GOP couldn't win uh, those two Senate seats down in Georgia, mm -hmm. which is a predominantly 30% uh, of population of black. So we really have to address this. Right. Well, Patrick, you know, Harrison actually brought up a great point where the, maybe that plays into the Democratic narrative where they say, hey, you know, when when Republicans come out and say, look, let's let's stop with the white, black, blue, green, whatever, the, the individual piles of people. Let's just be one America. How do we bring that message back? I got about 30 seconds left. Well, first of all, I think we have to remember something. The Republican Party, if they're smart, which I kind of doubt sometimes, they should understand they're the party of the working men and women of this country. And I mean every color, every creed, every religion. I don't care what it is. We're all together. And the people running this country are the elitists. And the elitists have a whole bunch of different colors. And we better start remembering in this country what the great Republican president, the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We better get our act together and conservatives better get ready for a fight. Well said. I can't say anything else. Patrick Harrison, we appreciate you joining us. All right. Well, our Second Amendment is under attack by the Biden administration and other Democrats as well. We'll talk with our next guest on how we could save our rights from being destroyed. Stay with us.
Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. Let me say it again. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. There are things we know that work to reduce gun violence and violent crime, and things that we don't know about. But things we know about, background checks for purchasing a firearm are important. Ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. No one needs to have a weapon that can fire over 30, 40, 50, even up to 100 rounds. Well, that word salad coming from our president was uh, entertaining, at least. So Biden, along with other Democrats, are, are punishing legal gun owners for practicing a constitutional right. What is the future of our Second Amendment in America? We're going to bring in the editor of Bearing Arms and host of Bearing Arms Cam and Company podcast, Cam Edwards. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Carl. Thanks so much for the invite. Oh, of course. So I want to get straight to the point. You've talked extensively about this on your podcast, it's, and it makes it the, the illegalese of it very easy to digest. But how do we protect our gun rights at this time under this administration? You know, I, I think we have to speak up. We have to speak out. We're seeing this at the state level with the rise of the Second Amendment sanctuary movement. Uh, and really not even at the, at the state level, at the county level, at the city level. About 61 percent of the country uh, is now a Second Amendment sanctuary, either declared that by their county commissioners or their state legislators or even their city council. Uh, and that's a big way that we can fight back. But we are also, I think, uh, you know, exercising our, our Second Amendment rights by purchasing firearms. We've seen record-setting gun sales last year, sales still way above average this year. Uh, Americans are embracing their right to keep and bear arms, many of them for the very first time. And it's because, I think, in large part, they're, they're concerned about their personal safety but they're also concerned about attacks on their civil rights coming from the Biden administration. You know, it's shocking. It's Joe Biden does get I mean, previously only award went to Barack Obama for being the number one gun salesman of the year. I mean, it's shocking. The people who threaten to take him the most are the ones that drive the most sales. But there was some news coming out of San Jose this weekend. The city passes this law requiring gun owners to carry liability insurance and pay an annual fee. Now, I can only think if it's somehow racist to ask people to get a voter ID, is it not racist to ask people to get insurance to exercise another equally protected constitutional right? Well, I'm sure that Mayor Sam Licardo would say no and have some uh, explanation as to why that's not the case. But, you know, it's really interesting, Carl. I actually looked at, uh, at this issue. And when it comes to automobile insurance, uh, there have been some studies showing that black Americans pay more than white Americans do for car insurance. I have a hard time believing uh, that a 25-year-old black man in a high-crime neighborhood in Oakland is going to pay as much for or as little for their gun liability insurance as a 50-year-old white guy in a gated community. I think this is going to have a disproportionate impact, particularly on communities of color, particularly on lower-income neighborhoods, particularly on high-crime neighborhoods. So in other words, the gun control advocates are making it more difficult for the people who need guns the most because that's their agenda. That's their ideology. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like any of us exercising our Second Amendment rights, but they have a tendency to start with those folks who, who really have the most critical need to defend themselves. Yeah, that's the irony of all these policies. You know that I live in the Socialist Republic of Connecticut, where they passed the 1160 bill, which basically, if you did nothing and you owned an AR-15, you became a felon automatically overnight. And the irony is that, like, the law-abiding people like me, who jump through every hoop and possibility to abide by every single law and every nook and cranny, are the ones that get hurt by this stuff. We're the ones that, you know, at the end of the day, pay tons of money, maybe even sometimes hire an attorney, and then have to go spend extra time not at work, which means we're not contributing to our households that much, to abide by something that is the right 
to keep and bear arms. So, you know, if you were if you were presiding over the Congress tomorrow, if you were Speaker of the House, and you say, what's a law we could do right now to actually address gun violence? What would it be? So I don't even think you need a law, quite honestly. Uh, there's a program that has been put in place by the Department of Justice. It's called uh, Project Ceasefire. Uh, and it, it actually, you know, it, it's something that Democrats and Republicans both should be able to get behind. Democrats should like the idea that it actually tends to lead to uh, fewer arrests overall. Republicans should like it because it targets the most violent offenders. There's a space for, you know, a community programs to try to intervene and turn these individuals away from the gang lifestyle and onto a more productive path. But if those uh, individuals don't take opportunities or don't take advantage of those opportunities, then their criminal cases are referred to the U.S. attorney. They go to federal court and they're looking at much longer prison sentences. They have to serve at least 85 percent of that sentence before they're eligible for release. So you've got that sort of community violence uh, aspect that Joe Biden has talked a lot about. Uh, you've also got a tough on crime approach for the most violent and prolific offenders that Republicans should like. But there's no gun control in there, Carl. And that's why the Democrats won't embrace this idea, because it targets violent criminals, not you and I and the tens of millions of Americans who are exercising the right to keep and bear arms right now. Cam, you made just way too much sense in that, in that segment. I, I'm going to have to ask you to tone it back and just go along with the narrative and ban guns for everyone. Host of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company podcast. There it is right there. Uh, Cam Edwards, your podcast is fantastic. Makes it easy for people like me to understand what's going on in the Beltway and what the, the crazies on the left are coming up with. We appreciate you joining us. As always, thank you, Carl. All right. Coming up, U.S. cities were rocked by violent crime this holiday weekend, and Democrats are still continuing their push to defund the very people that keep us safe. We've got the latest on that. As Democrats continue to push the defund the police movement for some reason, violent crime continues to rise all over the United States. Joining me now, political commentator Benji Irby and national spokesman for law enforcement today, Kyle Reyes. Evening to both of you. So look, we saw a huge spike in crime across our major cities, mostly Democratic, but this was over the holiday. I want to take a look at this headline, summing it up all as 150 people fatally shot in more than 400 shootings over the 4th of July weekend. Most of these places were in inner cities where it's very difficult to own guns. Should we be, shouldn't we be like saluting our service members of, of law enforcement for trying to deal with this stuff, or should we be defunding it, Kyle? You know, the whole defund the police movement, Carl, this is what happens when virtue signaling runs completely unchecked. Watching the left try and blame the defund the police movement now on Republicans, it's sort of like watching a drunk guy walk over a speed bump, and it is turning into a catastrophic situation here in America. Yeah, I mean, it seems crazy to me. Now, Benji, you lived in New York. You saw how you know bad this uh, this whole scenario got under Bill de Blasio. You've uh, since you literally left the city because of it. Uh, you know, talk about you know what what are the policies that are driving this? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a policy thing? And how do we fix it? Well, I mean, a lot of it is, and, and there's been a lot of reporting on it. But we know we have um, you know George Soros funded DAs in a lot of these cities that are just you know letting criminals out free. Um, you have a lot of you know people, just people in the community who have who are 
who basically are scared of the police, who are being taught by, you know, the powers that be and are being socialized to believe that the police are out to get them or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, we're seeing that we need the police and we're seeing all these crime and that's happening all over our country. And it's a real shame. And, and it's, it's really a shame that the people that are being pushed to, you know, not like the police or to resent the police are people who need the police the most in right. a lot of these urban communities. And a lot of the people that are talking the loudest, the ones on the CNN, the ones on, you know, on TV and whatever with their, you know, fancy college degrees, they don't actually live in the neighborhoods where a lot of the regular people are crying out for more police help and more police service. I myself was a victim of crime and decided to finally move out of New York and I'm down here in Miami now, um, you know, given the shirt. Um, you know, it's just to be much better pastures, but it's a shame. This happening all over the country. There was a shooting in Toledo over the weekend where there were like um, seven or eight people that were that were fatally shot and like everybody was a teenager. Yeah. Like, this is horrible. We have to do something about this. No, it is. And we got that graphic of how much uh, crime is up. Can we put that graphic back up again? Uh, Kyle, you see this Portland, Democratic controlled, up 800 percent. Atlanta, Democratic controlled, 50 percent. Minneapolis, Democratic controlled. Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., all up, all Democratic controlled. You know, I mean, how did they not get this? I mean, our police officers volunteer to come to your house when you call, when you're at your worst and lowest because you need help. And now you say, yeah, we want to defund them. We don't need them anymore. How's that working out? You know, Carl, if you think about it like this, so first of all, we have a false narrative, right, which is the idea that uh, there's systematic racism targeting people because of, of law enforcement. And yet when we dive into the numbers of it, uh, it's based on a false narrative. The numbers don't actually show that that's the case whatsoever. So this defund the police movement, it's sort of like taking a look and going, well, we had 250,000 people and die of medical malpractice last year. So we're going to defund doctors. We're going to defund hospitals. We're going to right. take away their training. It's not a viable solution. And the defund the police movement has turned into this social experiment here in some of the major Democrat-run cities in America, and it is failing. And the people who are suffering the consequences are law-abiding citizens. Right. And the, the irony, be, I'm glad you brought that up, the training, because the uh, you know in the military where I was for a decade, the uh, the first thing to go when you start losing funding is training. So you want to make this better, maybe defunding might not be the thing, but Benji, politically, I mean, can is this going to cost the Democrats the 2022 House and Senate? I think it will in some areas, but a lot of it is happening in deep blue areas that are that are probably never going to change anyway. So, I mean, for them, it's like the collateral damage doesn't really mean much as long as they're able to push the racial narrative and push division, because that's what this is all about. So they really don't care about the black lives that are lost. Um, you know, in the midst of pushing this whole, you know, Black Lives Matter race division thing that they're pushing. So to be honest, I mean, I think it will cost them, but it's not, it's not as, as it won't cost them as much as they, as much as you would think it would. Probably yeah. not, unfortunately, because a lot of the people that, um, you know, in these communities, they don't know any better but to vote for Democrats because, you know, Republicans are racist. So they already know that, you know, if the Republicans are racist, then they're going to vote for us regardless, no matter what we do. And that's where we're stuck, unfortunately. Yeah, but Kyle, on the policy side, though, I struggle to, to see this. It's like, why would anybody want to, you know, I, I just don't get it. Why would anybody want to defund the people and, and, and demonize them when the statistics, like you said, don't back up the fact that the, they're, they're horrible, no good people? I got about a minute left, but what, what's the policy solution to this, Kyle? 
Well, Carl, it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I, I do not believe that the majority of people, I mean, studies have shown that the majority of people do not want to defund the police. This is why cities like Baltimore are all of a sudden in a position where they have to refund the police. Mm-hmm. Why you had a judge in Minneapolis who just said, yeah, you better put more cops on the ground. So the numbers don't bear out. Your average everyday American, black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. They want law enforcement there because they want safe neighborhoods. They want a safe country for their families. And this movement is already backfiring, which is why we're seeing levels that are dropping off. And now we're at where more and more officers are retiring and we're going to have difficult times filling those positions across the country. Yeah, no, it just seems like a no-brainer to me that you would want to keep good men and women on the force. You see this in, in all these major cities. They are dropping off the force, they are shrinking, and they are starting to refund a lot of these things. Political commentator Benji Irby and national spokesman for law enforcement today, Kyle Reyes, we appreciate you joining us. All right, coming up, the U.S. has began to bring home some of its troops from Afghanistan, but President Biden is pushing to have all troops, that's all troops, home by September 11th this year. We'll see if any of this backlash from the Taliban will hurt this move. We've got the latest next. Well, as President Joe Biden continues to pursue the withdrawal of nearly all U.S. forces from Afghanistan after almost 20 years, concerns raised about Taliban advances. Joining me now, the author of the new book, The Man in the Arena, From Fighting ISIS to Fighting for My Freedom, Eddie Gallagher. Everybody knows everything else about you, man. You're awesome. You're a team guy, and uh, you fought for this country. You came back, and they tried to screw you. Trump stepped in. You were able to fight for your freedom, and you, you ended up getting it. Uh, It was fantastic. So, Eddie, I want to talk about this Afghanistan thing, though. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. I was there in Iraq when we started the drawdown. We saw what happened. They basically pulled the troops out, the Iraqi locals and police officers and and, um, the Iraqi military came in. They cannibalized these things. They make operable bases basically inoperable within weeks. And then it all kind of devolved back again. And then we had ISIS. So, poof. Now, fast forward to Afghanistan. What's your prediction? Uh, exactly what happened in Iraq. You know, we've seen it over the past decade how we turned over these forward operating bases to the Afghans uh, so they could fight for themselves. And like you said, a couple of days after we turned it over, they're gutted out uh, and pretty much just ruined. Uh, I, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, within next year, Taliban will take over again, and uh, you know we'll have the same enemy on our on our hands as we did 20 years ago. I think that. Uh, you know, pulling out of Afghanistan is a bittersweet thing. Um, I definitely think it's uh, been a long time coming. Um, I think it's the right decision. But I also think, you know, we could have won the war 10 years ago if uh, we weren't hamstrung by all the rules that were put upon us, uh, you know, by the politicians. And then, you know, it's all about making money for the military industrial complex. So I think they, they wanted to prolong this war as much as possible. But uh, I think this is the right decision. You know, I'm actually with you in that. I, I generally think that we went into Iraq for the right reasons. We went into Afghanistan for the right reasons. Uh, somewhere along the line, we forgot about putting bullets in bad guys and actually just wanted to run this this trail of appeasement. We're building schools and nation building and things like that. And I said from mm-hmm. day one while we were in, like, look, you want, you want to win a war, you send us in there. We break stuff and kill bad guys. That's what we do. You want to be diplomats, send diplomats. Don't send us. So, you know, exactly. if, if we're in that position, why in the world are these people at the top of the chain of command not understanding that simple fact? Uh, you know, I think it's about appeasing appeasing the, uh, uh, the mob. You know, I think uh, we've been at war for... Two decades, uh, the American people no longer had an appetite for it. Uh, They were tired of American soldiers getting killed over there. Um, So I think the politicians then tried to dumb the war down a little bit. Uh, They 
you know, and had us be an occupying force uh, for the past 10 years, which is not what the military uh, is meant for. I think we've seen that in history over the years that uh, that doesn't work. But, in, you know, they tried to do it anyways. And, you know, in, in doing so, then they restricted us with the ROEs. Uh, you know, we, we weren't allowed to actually fight anymore the way that we're supposed to. Um, I mean, you saw when we were over there, they when Obama was president, we were no longer allowed to do night raids because mm -hmm. it was unfair to the Taliban. I mean, I don't understand where that thought comes from, but uh, it's, you know, I'm glad that, uh, like I said, I'm glad that we're pulling out. Um, it's It's been a long time coming. Yeah, no, I, I think... I'm glad we're pulling out. I wish we had done what you had said, which is win the war 10 years ago, actually, yes. you know, fight to win. Um, but you know, I want to get to your book real quick, because this is actually a phenomenal book. I mean, it really goes inside. And we've talked about this before. Uh, the Man in the Arena, there it is right there. You can, you can pick it up anywhere books are sold. Um, it, it is a telling story, not only about what happened to you post-charged by the military for crimes that you know they had no evidence for but also your journey to who you became and how you became that man and then seeing your name on a on a on a court document united states verse eddie gallagher talk to us about that feeling uh you know it's uh those two years were pretty crazy i was definitely surreal to see uh the court you know evidence with the binder that says you know the united states versus uh you know chief special operator gallagher um, there's definitely a feeling of betrayal, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's. I think that this shine. This was the beginning. It shined a light on um, that we have been at war for too long. Now that we're starting to, you know, armchair quarterback our war fighters. I mean, we have been doing that, but this this case brought it to light, and I'm glad that uh, you know everybody can sort of see how detached uh, certain members of the military are from what we are actually doing over there um, and what is actually going on overseas. Um, and it's it's something that had to be done. Uh, and, you know, like I, me and my wife always said, you know, God put this on us for a reason. Um, you know, it's, it's serving a purpose. And, you know, that purpose is going forward and uh, definitely telling telling the truth, telling exactly what happened as much as it's going to hurt, you know, the Navy. Um, it's this, this stuff did happen, and hopefully they can use it as an after-actions report so this does not happen to another warfighter again. Well, that, that's the other thing, too, is you gave, you know, I had a similar situation happen to me while I was not nearly as bad as yours. However, you know, this was something that, like, in no way did you, is your intent to hurt the, the, the um, sanctity of the, the teams or the U.S. Navy or the DOD. Your intent is to fix it. However, they have gone after you now, trying to discredit you so much to the point where in your book, you put the QR codes that you can scan to listen to the audio that proves everything in your book is true. How do they react to that? Oh, I'm sure they're not liking it. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing uh, from the get go is, you know, we we have everything. We have all the evidence, all the trial audio, all the NCIS interviews. And, you know, as I was writing the book, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was so much corruption and lies that I, I was like, no one's going to believe this because this is obviously from my side. So I wanted to be as transparent as possible. I put everything in there. Um, you know, everything that the Navy did um, and that, you know, I'm sure they're they're not liking it, but they sort of dug themselves themselves into this hole. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's it has to be shown. Um, you know, the truth does have to come out. And like I said, so hopefully, you know, I'm sure certain members of the military or the Navy um, aren't don't appreciate the fact that uh, their faces are out there now and their lies are being uh put out in front of everybody, but I'm hoping that other officers see this and they, they fix it, you know, and they fix the problem. Well, you train, you train a man to never quit and die before he does. 
you certainly never quit. I wish we had more time to get to that pink candle over your shoulder, but uh, Eddie Gallagher, <laughs> the man in the arena, one of the greatest books of this century, I believe, uh, from fighting ISIS to fighting for my freedom. Chief Eddie Gallagher, appreciate you joining us, sir. Hey, I appreciate it, Carl. Take it All easy. Right. Coming up, stay tuned for a patriotic message. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. As we celebrated America's 275th birthday, we remember all that served our country and helped us to get to where we are today, regardless of anything our country is experiencing in the moment. We still need to hold on to hope. On that note, at Garrett McConaughey had this message he posted on Twitter yesterday filled with hope and patriotism. Happy birthday, America. Yes, indeed, as we celebrate our independence today as we celebrate our birth as a nation, a day that kick-started a, a, a revolution to gain our sovereignty. Let's admit that this last year's trip around the sun was also another head-scratcher. Um, but let's also remember that we are babies. You know, as a country, we were basically going through puberty in comparison to um, other countries' timelines. Um, and we're going to go through growing pains. We are going through growing pains. This is not an excuse to say this. It's just a reality. And this is good because we got to keep learning. We got to keep maturing. We got to keep striving. We got to keep climbing. We got to keep building. And we got to make sure we maintain hope along the way as we continue to evolve. Why? Because it's who we are. Why? Because the alternative sucks. <laughs> I believe that America and you and I, I believe we're an aspiration. That guy gets it. That guy gets it. He said what millions of Americans are thinking. Matthew McConaughey, I, we appreciate that message. You know, it is, for me to hear that from a guy in Hollywood, there's hope, there's hope. Folks, I hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful weekend full of freedom, low-flying eagles, and lots of fireworks. They're not racist, don't worry. Be sure to check out my show, Saturday Report, here on Newsmax, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Thank you for watching. Greg will be back in the seat tomorrow, so stand by for Grant Stinchfield.